The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. First looking at this psalm, a psalm of Asaph, uh, I was trying to study a whole lot about him and about this certain musician. And uh, first, I wanna, I'm kind of jumping in, so just follow along with me the best you can. Uh, is first of all, is Asaph's occupation. Asaph's occupation. Uh, looking into it, if you want to tra- uh, follow with me, go to First Cor- uh, Chronicles chapter 15. First Chronicles chapter 15, hold your spot in 73 of Psalm. Uh, we're going to look and see about Asaph, uh, Asaph's occupation. I want to uh, just show you a little bit of a background. We won't go dive totally into it, but First Chronicles chapter 15, and uh, we're going to look at verse number 15, and this is kind of the appearance of uh, Asaph. Now, uh, during this time, David was still king, he was still ruler, and uh, they had, David, as we know, his always his heart and his desire was to build the temple, but we know he would never build the temple, his son would, uh, but for now, he was carrying around the Ark of God, and uh, he, they always had, uh, I guess you would say, worship, and they would have praise and sacrifice, and there was uh, things that needed to be done, and uh, David started appointing song leaders, musicians, uh, people uh, that he wanted to lead the worship and lead uh, the praise and everything else. Uh, this is my uh, amigos right here. Uh, these are the same people. These are my, my people right here uh, as far as song leaders go. And they're probably a whole lot better than me. But uh, we're going to look at a verse number 15 of chapter 15. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. And David spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers with instruments of music, psalteries, and harps, and cymbals, soundings by lifting up the voice with joy. And uh, he starts naming these people, and we know one of them, Asaph. Uh, another way of pronouncing the other ones, it's uh, uh, Hermon or Haman, and then Ethan, that's how you say it. But I'm going to say Heman and Ethan, that's, that's how I say it. Uh, but these three guys, and he says out of all of them, Asaph, I want him to be the chief. He's going to be the chief song leader, the chief musician. Uh, He's going to be the guy that's, in a sense, going to be leading all of it. Now, think about this. Was David not a musician? David knew how to play. I believe if anybody was probably a great musician, a great song, it would be David. Uh, David, you know, was a man after God's own heart. Uh, David, I believe, was probably, could give us some tips, definitely me, on how to worship the Lord and, and how to lead people in singing. But yet, he finds three men, and he appoints them to lead the worship. So you know, if they have God's, first of all, they have God's approval, you know, that person is good. But I mean, but David, David's saying, Asaph, I want you to be the chief. Go to chapter 16 of Chronicles, the next chapter over, and we'll kind of look at that real quick. Chapter 16, and we'll look at verse number one. Uh, so they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent uh, that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he dealt to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone uh, uh, a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. And then going down, verse number seven, then on that day delivered the first psalm to, th- uh, to thank the Lord into the hands of who? Asaph and his brethren. Give thanks unto the Lord. And if you want specifically that psalm there, Psalm 105. And so he uh, appoints it and gives it to Asaph. So we understand the occupation, the purpose of Asaph. Asaph 
is a song leader. He is appointed by David, who is appointed by God, uh, to lead the worship when, when, they have, when they enter the sanctuary, when they uh, lead worship, have sacrifice, and all those things. He is the main song leader. He is the person that is bringing everybody together for worship. He's bringing everybody together what they need to do. Now, Asaph, uh, out of all the Psalms, is uh, credited for 12 of them. Uh, some people and scholars and different people say that they believe that it was credited to Asaph, but it was given by David. Just like in this instance, David gave 105 and said, here, I want you to sing it. But uh, you'll learn later, and I'm not going to get ahead of my message, uh, but you're going to learn that you can tell if it's Asaph or David because of their lingo uh, and, and different things and words that they use. But Asaph uh, started leading the worship. And man, I can imagine the song leader type that Asaph was. Uh, I don't know, they didn't have screens, and they didn't have lyrics and hymn books, and they didn't have pianos and guitars and all that, but man, I bet it was a worship service. I mean, I bet they really worshiped the Lord. And Asaph, I mean, he, he didn't get there just by chance, and, he didn't, and, and David didn't just randomly pick people. I mean, this was someone that God had appointed for him to lead the worship. Go to Psalm 50. Psalm 50 is the very first uh, psalm, in a sense, uh, not believe uh, chronologically as far as that was, it was written, but as we have it in our King James Bible, Psalm 50 is the first that we see Asaph. So Psalm chapter 50, and, and I apologize if you've got to turn a little bit, it's be a little sword drill style tonight, uh, but Psalm chapter 50, and look at this very first one. I mean, this just tells you right from the get-go what kind of a song leader, uh, what kind of a worship leader, what kind of a person that Asaph was. The very first spot. He says, the mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. I mean, you, you read this. I mean, man, he is proclaiming. I wonder if they went a little Pentecostal, start going like this. I wonder if they little Baptist shuffle, whatever, maybe dancing. I don't know. David danced, but uh, maybe they were going a little crazy. I mean, they must have had a worship service. I mean, right from the get-go, you can look at Psalm 50 and say, yeah, Asaph, I mean, he's proclaiming. He's, yeah, he's telling these people. I mean, I can imagine. And, and listen, I, and I say all this, and I'm, I'm greeting this in conviction. I need to be a better song leader. I, I need to be a little more maybe animated or even smile once in a while. Uh, but I can imagine the worship service. I can imagine uh, the leading that Asaph had with the people. And, and you know all the things that they've gone through and all the things that they've uh, been through that they really and truly worship the Lord. But you see just the, right from the very first song that Asaph is credited here, uh, you see that the mighty God, I mean, he is leading worship. I mean, he is totally uh, all out, and he is doing uh, what he is called to do. And, and man, what a, great, uh, uh, what a great psalm you can read there. But then the very next psalm, which is our text tonight, uh, Psalm chapter 73. I mean, he starts really good, right off, just like he started in Psalm 50. Look at this. Truly, God is good. Let's take a side note. Let's stop for a minute. That is a great statement. How many believe God is good tonight? How many believe that he is truly good? That can be translated, God is surely good. I mean, it's a sure thing that God is good. Man, he's starting off a great, man, he's, he's getting a little Pentecostal. Maybe he's starting to do a little jiggle or something here, man. Maybe he's getting excited. Maybe, I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's playing an instrument, but he's saying, yes, truly, God is good. Just like Psalm 50, he is all out. He is getting excited about praising the Lord and worshiping the Lord. He's getting all excited. Truly, God is good to Israel. Wow, this psalm's starting out pretty good. Truly, God is good to Israel, even such are as of a clean heart. Now, he's not saying clean heart as in they're sinless. We all know that. They're not saying sinless, but those that are trying to serve the Lord, those that are trying to live a pure life, who are trying to follow the Lord and his commandments, not saying that they're sinless, but they're saying with those that are committed their hearts and their lives to the Lord. Those, especially those, he said, God is good to 
to have a clean heart. We know that because David said, uh, you know, as far as us being saved and our Christians, David's, you know, we have trials and tribulations, but David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Uh, he says, listen, God is good, especially to those who love him, who serve him, who try and live their lives as pure and holy as possible as unto the Lord. I mean, this is a great statement. Wow, this is great. You can do a whole message on that first verse. But then he starts changing his tone. David starts, or Asaph rather, starts changing his tone. He goes from, not like he was in Psalm 50, but in Psalm 73, truly God is good to Israel, even to such uh, as are of a clean heart. But then he says, but as for me, now the whole tone changes. I almost feel like when you read this, now you start seeing some transparency with, with Asaph. He starts telling really how he feels. And he starts saying this, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. But he's a song leader. What? He's a song leader. That, that doesn't happen to spiritual people. That doesn't happen to pastors, right? That doesn't happen to people that, you know, I mean, this guy, he, I mean, he's a worship leader. He's appointed by God, by David. I mean, this guy, he's leading in the sanctuary. He's leading worship. I mean, he's saying, yeah, truly God is good. But then he says, but as for me, to be honest, he's like, my feet. And what he's trying to say there is almost I picture an edge. And he's like, my feet, I, I was right at the edge. My feet almost gave way. I almost slipped. And you're like scratching your head like, what? Asaph, you're a song leader. You're appointed by God. I mean, you're a spiritual man. You mean, are you kidding? That shouldn't happen to you, right? Just like we think in our minds, oh, the pastor, he's spiritual. Listen, we're all flesh. We're all human, right? We all have a sin nature, and all of us are not uh, ex- uh, uh, exempt from uh, the, really the hardships and, and trials and doubts and struggles and worries that we all have. All of us have that, and you see that here in Asaph's light, and I appreciate the honesty here. He says, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. He's like, I was on the edge. I was on the verge. I was right there. My steps had well nigh, closed, slipped. For I was envious at the foolish. What a statement. Who is envious of foolish people? <laughs> so in other words, he's saying, I'm a fool for envying the fool. Because I'm envious of the foolish And he starts telling his real deep problem in this psalm. He starts sharing his heart, and he starts telling people, saying, you know, know, truly God is good. He's great, and he's wonderful, and I know that. I said, but as for me, if I can just honestly speak, he's like, you know what, my feet, because of when I look out and I see all the hardships I'm enduring, I see all the worry, the the pain, and all the things I'm doing, and and I'm living a pure life, I'm living a holy life, I'm leading worship, I'm doing all these things, I'm doing all that, But then I look outside and I see so-and-so and and he and she, and they're living a whole opposite life of what I'm living, and they're prospering. And I don't know about you, you know, you ever get, you know, you're doing, you're working hard, and then you just see these people, they don't even give half of the effort you're giving, and they are prospering, and they're doing that. Listen, the Bible says thou shalt not covet, but listen, I understand it's a real thing. Envy is a real thing. Jealousy is a real thing, and it happens in church. And you see and you look around, you're saying, man, I was, he's like, I was envious of the foolish. What part, what, man, he must have been on the edge. I mean, to envy a foolish person. He says, I was envious of the foolish. In verse 3, he says, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
I'm doing all that I can do. I'm doing all that I can. I'm listening to my leader that David, who God appointed me to be my leader. uh, He's like, I'm following the Lord. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm keeping the law. I'm doing all these things. But yet I look outside and I look at these people I know are living wrong and living bad. And I watch them and I look at them and I'm envious. Because for some reason, they're happy and I'm not. For some reason, I seem to struggle and they seem to prosper and flourish. He says, I was envious of the foolish. And this is when we're looking at Asaph's complication. Asaph's complication. So we know his occupation, but this is Asaph's complication. This this was something he struggled with. He says in verse number four, for there are no bands in their death. In other words, uh, that word bands is pang, and it means a sharp physical or, or emotional pain. In other words, they're living a lifestyle. They're living an ungodly lifestyle. They're doing everything wrong, total, polar opposite of what I'm doing, and yet they die peaceably. They die happy. They die, you know, there's no, there's no pangs. There's no bands in their death. There's no emotional, sharp, physical, or emotional pain. It seems like they're living happy, and they die happy. And he said, it boggles my mind. I don't understand it. He says, continue along with me, uh, verse number four, he said, there's no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. I mean, they're firm. I mean, they don't have God. They don't worship the God that I worship. They don't keep all the law and do all these different things, but yet it seems like their life isn't complicated. And he starts describing every feeling that he has that, that just bothers him. Verse number four, for there's no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. Verse five, they are not in trouble. Uh, they are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Uh, verse 6, their pride can pass them about as a chain. Now, when I read that as a chain, I thought, yeah, ball and chain, right? That's what, that's what pride is, and it is, right? It's a ball and chain. It's like sin. It's a weight. It's something you get right with the Lord with, right? But it's not describing it as a ball and chain. It's striving as something different, like an ornament, a chain. They wear it, and they're proud of it. They have pride, and almost they use it as, a, as a beautification of their life. Look at us. Look at me. They wear their pride, not as a ball and chain, as, as, as described, although it is uh, pride in our lives, and we need to root it out. But understand that he's wearing it as a chain, an ornament. Uh, chain and jewelry were always used for magistries or royalty. Uh, anytime when the Bible talks about an ornament or talks about like a chain or a necklace, in Proverbs they talk about it a lot. But that's the same sense they're talking here. He's, they're, they're wearing their pride, he says, as beautification, as a chain, as something they're proud of. Pride. Pridefully proud of it. I mean, he is just getting so frustrated. He says, the pride compasses the bowels of chain. Violence cover them as a garment. He says in verse number seven, their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. Now, this is the wicked. Now, we, we know, he knows that he serves the Lord and he serves a living God and a risen God and God wants to bless them. He wants to give, uh, you know, he wants to give them abundantly above all that they ever ask or think. But yet he's looking out and he's saying, they have more than me. It's like they have more than their heart could ever wish. They have the wealth, the house, the cars, or in that time, camels. I don't know what they have. Uh, they have all these different things and stuff that materialistically, he says, they're happy. And he's like, and I'm, I'm doing the work of the Lord. Why am I not happy? He's like, I'm doing the work of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I, have you been there? You look around and you say, you could be in worship. And listen, I, I, I'm saying as a song leader, there's been definitely many Sundays I got up and I led worship and I sung words. 
And uh, I never, and then I wonder, I'm like, man, this person, you know, I, I wonder how that life would be. And, and, and even as a teenager thinking, you know what, uh, you know, it's, it's so hard being a Christian, right? It's so hard to just live and live a pure life. And listen, I understand we're living, trying to be pure in an impure world. It is hard. It's frustrating. But, uh, uh, you know, you look at it and you get uh, frustrated with life. And you, especially when you see those you know that aren't living for God, that are living ungodly lifestyles and they're prospering. They have all that their heart could ever wish for. Man. I got the wrong end of the bargain here. What in the world? I thought when I signed up to be this song leader, when I signed up to be this worship leader, when I was appointed by God and David to be in worship, man, I thought this was going to be good. I thought the benefits were going to be out of this world. I thought I was going to be happy. I thought God was going to be, I mean, he's, he's really, and you know what? I appreciate the honesty of Asaph in here. And he's telling him what was bothering him. Verse number eight, they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. Loftily, they speak as if everything that comes out of their mouth is just amazing. It's prideful. It's just everything they have. Oh, look at us. Look at me. They speak loftily. And he's like, they're doing all these wicked things, and God's doing nothing about it. That's another thing that's frustrating to him. He's like, he knows they're doing wickedly. He knows what God does uh, uh, for sin. He knows what God, that God punishes sin. He's like, but he's like, God's not doing anything. And I don't understand. And he gets down to here, Verse number nine, they set their mouth against the heavens. In other words, they're blaspheming God. They look at God, they blaspheme him. I mean, you talk about, you know, God, you don't, you don't blaspheme the name of God, especially in the Old Testament. You're done. You're dead. You don't do that. But he's watching them blaspheme God. Nothing happens. He's watching them walking. The Bible says in verse number nine, he says, and their tongue walketh through the earth. So they're not only blaspheming God, but everything they're saying, they're also uh, putting their propaganda into the world. They're putting everything, all the, everything about it. They're, they're talking bad about God. They're making people turn away from God. Like, listen, you're God, and, and you see it right here in the next coming verses. Uh, verse number 10, uh, that says, Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out on them. It's almost like you're in church, and, you, and I don't know if you ever had this happen to me, and, and some of you that work secular jobs, but I remember going to church and you know, kind of being discouraged, but I left encouraged. God spoke to my heart. I'm glad. I'm happy. I'm, I mean, I'm just like, wow, my cup is full. But the moment I get to my job and the moment I get outside, it's almost like my cup, they wring it out. It's almost like the moment I get out there, they just squeeze it out of me. They frustrate me. They discourage me. Look what he says. He says, therefore, his people return hither with waters of a full cup are wrung out on them. And he, it's almost like they're just being squeezed out of me. And I don't know about you, and I've had that in the workplace, and I've had it in multiple jobs where you go there, and it's, it's different. And you have to understand they're lost, and I know that they're lost, but still that, that, uh, that stand for God that you have to do and that stand to, to make sure you don't slip, that you don't go to the edge. And, and Asaph is just frustrated. I don't know if you've gotten that theme yet, but he's frustrated. Uh, he's frustrated a lot in this passage. Verse number 11 and they say, this is the people, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? So they question his omniscience and his omnipresence. They question him. Say, what, what does God know? You're God. What does he know? What is, what, what, how is he going to know anything about this? And they, they question him. And again, Asaph knows that these people, why, why ain't God putting the hatchet on them? I mean, I, that would make me feel better, wouldn't you, right? If you saw your enemies, they fall down. I mean, that would make me feel so much better. And we know in the New Testament, we know in the Bible that's wrong. We're supposed to pray and love for our enemies. And I'm not trying to advocate anything that we wish that we destroy our enemies. God says, love them, be t- kind and tender hearted, like we talked about this morning, being forgiving. 
uh, in Sunday school, but understand he's frustrated with them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Verse number 12, behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. He's like, these last verses from two all the way to verse 11, he's like, these are the people that frustrate me. These are the people that have caused me to almost slip. These are the ungodly people that I see, and and I'm trying to be the best that I can be, but these are the people that I'm envious of because they're happy. I'm envious of them because they don't have to go through all the laws and ridicules that I have to follow. They don't have to worry about the burnt offerings and the sacrifice and doing everything according. Because you understand the ark of God, one man died because he, t- he did something wrong. We understand that, uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a very fearful and a godly fear. Uh, but understand, it was, it, was, it was stressful on them sometimes. And, and it was frustrating to Asaph. And Asaph says, behold, these are the people. These are all them that I envy because they prosper in the world that I live in. Verse number 13, verily, look at this. Now, this is an amazing statement. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. He says, I'm living a pure life. I pray, read my Bible, all that. I've cleansed my heart. I made sure I'm pure before God, but I've done it, as it seems, in vain. What good is it? I'm not happy. They're prospering, and I'm not. God said I would prosper, but I don't feel like I'm very flourishing or prospering. I'm watching them do it. But it almost feels like I've cleansed and done all these things, and I've done them in vain. This is the heart of Asaph. This is just him being honest and transparent. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. This is something that didn't happen overnight. This is something that started, and he started looking at it. Because he says every morning, right, I've been plagued and chastened. I've been plagued by it. It's been weighing me down. It's allowed me to have strength to where I am almost at the edge and I'm about to slip. I'm thankful, God, that he never did slip. But he got so close to the edge because it was so frustrating to him. And I don't know about you, but I've been there. And I've been there so many times where I said, man, I'm so frustrated. I'm I'm frustrated. And maybe not in the sense of watching my enemies and not not to say they're enemies, but I, I even had friends that I grew up with in high school and that are living a whole different lifestyle than what they once brought up. Same preaching, same camp, same everything else. And I watch them, but then sometimes, and I've had that thought. I'm like, man, they have a house. I'm in ministry, <laughs> you know. Come on. Devil's good at that, isn't he? He's good, little, little seeds, little plants. Man, he's like, they're, they're making six figures. Not even kidding. One of them I've heard of even college, and, and some doing this and this business. And I'm, I'm trying to make sure we have enough to go to Wendy's later on. You understand? And so it, it's frustrating. It's real. And to, for us to sit there and lie to ourselves, I've never had that. The ministry is great, and it is great. It's wonderful, but you can't tell me you never, that anybody in ministry has never had that thought and said, man, you start thinking, you know, many times us trying to buy a house here, you know how Jersey is, everybody. I'm, <laughs> you're not blind. I mean, you got you, people that pay, uh, that pay taxes on houses and different things, you understand. And I've gone through two, three different banks and trying to pay, and then I said, you know, let me look at what Indiana, how the taxes are there. And I said, oh, and, and the money I have here in New Jersey, I can either pretty much just buy a shed, uh, or I can buy a three-bedroom house with two acres and a driveway. <laughs> uh, you know, wow. I mean, this, you, start, you see what I'm talking about? And you start envying. And God says he doesn't want us to envy and doesn't want us to look on the things or compare ourselves because those that compare ourselves among ourselves is not wise and we're not supposed to do those things. Uh, but Asaph's at this point. He's saying, it's plaguing me. I mean, it's not me. I joke about it right now, but he's at a point where he is being chastened by it. 
He's saying, it's bothering me anymore. And look what he says, the next verse. Not only does it plague him, but he says this. If I say, and, and this is a great consideration, I appreciate verse 15. He says, if I say I will speak thus, meaning if I start talking about it to the congregation, what I'm actually feeling, look what he says. He says, uh, if I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. He's like, I don't want to go out and start really saying, hey, church, hey, that was a great song, Amazing Grace, that was awesome, but you know what, I'm struggling, and, I, and this is what I'm envying, and all those people, you know what, and I'm glad he took that into consideration. That he, didn't, he didn't want to share it because he didn't want to stumble anybody else. He didn't want to get to a point where he was stumbling somebody, because listen, this can be a stumbling block to other, other people. When we start griping and complaining and telling people what we feel, then guess what? You know, they're maybe encouraged and happy, but uh, we're so in discord there. We're, we're telling them, we're saying, hey, uh, you know, wow, God was good this morning. But then Asaph's like, oh, yeah, but listen, let me tell you what I'm feeling this morning. Uh, let me tell you what's really burdening me this morning. And I'm glad he took that into consideration that, you know, uh, that I shouldn't say it amongst the children for, or I don't want to impact a generation. But he says, look at this, verse 16, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. He's at the very end right here. I mean, halfway through this psalm. This psalm is not uplifting. I don't know about you, but it's not uplifting right now. Uh, This is a praise and worship song. And I'm like, what? This has not been anything but discouraging. This has been nothing but uh, the opposite of encouraging. And he says, it's too painful for me to bear this. Everything that I'm burning, everything that I'm worried about, he's like, the, the frustration, he's like, I can't. It's just too painful for me. But then we read, and it's a very famous verse, and we know it. Until, verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I therein. He gets into the house of God. He, he starts uh, worshiping the Lord. He starts, uh, I like to think, as uh, he, it might have been during when a lot of people were there, but I like to think he went into an empty church kind of type setting. I know they didn't have a church then, but as far as getting into the sanctuary that they had then, uh, I like to picture him kind of in a quiet space and talking with the Lord. And just, just giving him his burdens, casting all his care upon him and just saying, God, this is, this is what's bothering me. I don't know about you, but I'm frustrated. I'm just being honest with you. And God's a big God, and he can take whatever. God's not going to be like, Asaph, are you kidding me? You thought that. No, God understands what's going on in his heart. And he says, I went into the sanctuary. And he says, and until I did that, then understood I therein. Now we see... Uh, a whole different uh, ball game here. We see not only we, we talked about his occupation, his complication he was having, but then we see his clarification. God saying, listen, he's talking to him and saying, listen, uh, all the things you're frustrated about and you're wondering what I'm going to do, don't worry about what I'm going to do. It's all going to happen. Listen, sin for a season. They're going to have their time. This is their hour, power, this is their day, hour in the power of darkness. Like, this is all their time. And listen, it's all going to come to pass. And he said, surely thou didst set them in slippery places and cast them down into destruction. How are they that brought me into desolation as in a moment? Uh, they are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, uh, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reign. So foolish was I. He's saying all those things I just said from verse number two to all the way to 16. He's like, man, did that come out of my mouth? I mean, did that really just happen? You ever have those moments? What did I just say? Did I really just say all that? I mean, he got understanding. God says, listen, with all that getting, get understanding. And he got that in that sanctuary. And God says, gave, God gave him some clarification. He said, listen, I'm in control. Listen, you think this is hard. You think that life is hard. The way of a transgressor is hard. He's like, listen, you don't have to worry about it. You think everything's hard now, but listen, the way of a transgressor is hard. They're going to have their day. They're going to have their sin for a season. So listen, don't worry, Asaph. Don't worry about it. He says, listen, I was foolish and ignorant. I was at best a beast before. He's basically saying, God, I'm an ox. 
I have no brains. I'm sitting here and I'm eating grass. I'm not thinking about anything but eating. I mean, he's saying, like, I was dumb. I, I, I was ignorant. I was somebody who was just speaking and I was just telling on my heart, but man, why did I ever envy the foolish people? Why did I ever envy those kind of people? I mean, their way is destruction. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. And I envied that. And I envied those positions. And I, and, wow, God, thank you for clarifying all that for me. And, and I don't know what all went on in that sanctuary, but something, something stirred him. Something changed his mind. And I'm getting somewhere. Listen, everybody, you're like, this is long. Listen, I'm, we're on the plane. We're going to land it soon. But I need you to pay attention, all right? I want this going to be a smooth ride on the runway. But I just want you to listen. Everybody awake? You good? Look at your neighbor next to you. Say, are you awake? All right? Are you awake? All right, good, good. All right. So listen, here we are. We have the occupation. We know what he's doing. We get, the, we get the complication that he was having. We get the clarification from God for Asaph. And then we read all these verses. Look at verse 21. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my range. We read that. Verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me with thy right hand. Thou, hast, thou shalt guide me with, uh, with thy counsel. And afterward receive me to glory. Who am I in heaven? I mean, he is just glorifying God now. Now look at number verse, uh, verse 28, the very last verse. But it is good for me to draw near to God, to get to that sanctuary, to get to that park, because it's until I got there is when I understood. It is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. What a change. What a change around. Wow, that's awesome. But this is, this, this is part of the message. So we see the contrast. We see the occupation of him. We know what he's doing and his purpose and why God has called him to be that. We understand his heart, his complication, his struggles he was having, and all of us have those struggles. God clarifies it. God shows him through his word and through prayer and through different things. And I believe he got clarification and, and everything else. But we look at the very end, and there's just a whole different change of tone in Asaph. But this is what I believe what happened. When you look at the Psalms of Asaph and you compare them to the Psalms of David, there's, there's a big difference. You can tell. You say, why? It's in the lingo. It's in the, in the words they use. Now, we have the King James Bible in English. Uh, we, we see words, but when you look at the context of the Hebrew, uh, how many of you know that in the Old Testament, God has many names, correct? Uh, in the Old Testament, you know, there's many, but you want to talk about the top three that were mentioned so many times in Scripture. Uh, you have Elohim, you have Jehovah, Yahweh, Yahweh means Jehovah, you know, Jehovah God, same thing, and Adonai. But we're going to talk about those first two, Elohim. You're like, what does this have to do with the Psalm of David and the Psalm of Asaph? Because both of them use God in different terminology. So Elohim, and by the way, all these, by the way, all three have connected. They're all the same God. This isn't Mormonism. This isn't where they think it's uh, different gods, and all of them are different people, all these different names. It's crazy, uh, uh, just out-of-whack out of doctrine, whatever it is. God is, uh, God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They all are one, just like in Genesis when he said, let us uh, make man in our image. That us is plural. It means God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, they all are one. He said, Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so we know that any, all of these references I'm talking about, these different names of God, they all are the same God. Can we agree? Right? Okay, good. We got that. I want you to put your Sunday school hats on for a minute. Because Listen, again, we're on the runway. We're, we're about, we're, I'm on with the pilot right now. We're about to land it soon, but I want you to listen. So we find Elohim. Elohim is a general term of God. It's the general sense. In other words, when you're trying to refer to Almighty God, Elohim. In the beginning, God. Elohim, right? That's what we're referring to. Now, in English, what do we do? When we want to refer to God, we capitalize what? The G. We capitalize the G. And the O-D is lowercase because that's how we're referring to God Almighty. Now, when we put a little G, what are we referring to? 
We're referring to any other false gods, people that aren't like our God. Now, same thing with Elohim. The E would be capitalized because it was referring to God Almighty. And in Exodus, you'll find Elohim, but it's lowercase, and it means the false gods, the, 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 the gods that aren't really God, uh, the false people, the idols, and all that. So Elohim, in other words, and I'm not belittling it, by the way. Elohim is a powerful, it's God, it's powerful, he's almighty. Elohim, but it is a general term to use for God. Now, Jehovah. Jehovah is a more intimate. Uh, you know that, there, and there's many, and I'll read you some, but they would say Jehovah, Yahweh, right? Lord Jehovah. Uh, but they would say uh, Jehovah, uh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, right? Jehovah, and they add different, na- uh, different names to the end of it. The Lord has done this. He will provide. He, the Lord of peace. And, and Jehovah is a more intimate way to converse or to mention God. It's not like Elohim. Elohim is just like a general fact. Yes, God, you're referring to God Almighty, but Jehovah, Yahweh, it's a intimate. Now let's go back to Asaph and David. Go to Psalm 23 real quick. I want to show you something. We're almost there. I promise you, we're almost there. Psalm chapter 23. I just, it wasn't like I just picked one because it's a psalm we all know. Now, we said Elohim in the King James Bible, how you know they're saying Elohim is just like how we would spell it. It would be a capital G, little O, little D, right? So every time you see it, in the beginning, God, you can look for yourself. That's Elohim. Or, okay, you don't have to go in the Hebrew. You can look at it and say, oh, they're saying Elohim. But when they're saying Jehovah, it's all capitalized. L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And in some cases, even capital G, capital O, capital D. So anytime you look in the King James Bible, you look at scripture, and it's saying Lord, all capital, God, all capital, they're using Jehovah for that one. Now, Asaph, right? We looked at him, but let's look at David. The Lord. Now, if you have a King James Bible, is it all capitalized? In the King James Bible, and right there, it might be different maybe on your computer, but it's all capitalized. So they're saying, in other words, the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, is my shepherd. He's saying Jehovah. He's saying it in an intimate way. But now, if you were to go to Psalm 50 or even Psalm 23, uh, and if, or Psalm 73, if you're there, the very first two words, right? Truly God. Now, capital G, little o, little d. So what's he saying? Elohim, right? Here's the difference I'm trying to make. Just listen, we're almost done. Asaph, anytime, mostly all the time, not all, not you know, 100%, but most of the time when he referred to God, he just referred him as a general term, God. But David, almost all the time, said Jehovah. And I believe I, why he used that. Now you're saying, well, are you belittling Elohim? I'm not. Listen, this is the best way I can explain it. And if this is not a good illustration, I'm sorry. But uh, right now, if I, my wife, she's in the back. She's called my wife. That is her God-given role to me. Now, a wife is a general term, is it not? It's a general term. When you say wife, you understand what that means. Oh, okay, that's a wife, and she's the caretaker, you know, the help. Wife. And anybody I would talk to, especially if I'm introducing you, this is my wife, this is my wife. And that would be a common phrase that you would use. But if I was at home in our own personal space, in our own time, with no one else around, and she said, and I was calling for her, calling for her and I said, wife, wife, where are you, wife? And she's like, hi, honey. I'm like, hi, wife, how are you? A little weird, right? I'm not wrong. She is my wife, right? She's my wife. Wife. Yes, wife. Oh, thank you, wife. You're a great wife. Thank you, wife. Okay, good night, wife. That's weird. But it's right. She's my wife. Is she not? We all understand that. But when I say, and to me, you may say Elizabeth and think of some person that bit you in third grade. I don't know, whatever. But when I think of Elizabeth, 
and I say her name. I don't say wife. I could call her that. That's the general term. But if I say Elizabeth, it has a deeper meaning because I know what weight that name holds to me. I know that she's my wife. She's my helpmeet. She's what God's called me. She's the mother of my children. That is a more intimate, a more stronger name. I could call her wife in a general term, but when I call her Elizabeth, it's a deeper meaning. You understand what I'm saying? So when Asaph was saying Elohim, he was just using God as, well, God, it's a fact. Truly God is good. But David, the Lord, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah God, he's like, he's my God. He's, it's an intimate level. And when you, you look through all David's Psalms, and even because, you know what, the reason why I believe David got to that point where he started, you know what, I'm using Jehovah, is because David went through some hardships in his life. David went through some pain. I mean, he must have cried many more tears than Asaph ever did. I mean, he must have cried. I mean, his children were against him. And yes, even in a time of his life where he sinned, he experienced the true and wonderful grace of God. I mean, there was a time in his life where even when everything was going well, his father-in-law tried killing him twice with a javelin and seeking his life. I mean, David was running for his life. But David, the reason why I know he used Jehovah was because he knew that it was more than just Elohim. Again, although that's great, that's a wonderful term. That's just a general term. But he's saying, Jehovah, my God. My Lord, he's like, this is something that it's more than just a fact. It's personal. It's intimate. Now you're saying, why are you saying all that? So Psalm chapter 30, 73, the first word, Elohim, right? G, little o, little d. Now he goes into the sanctuary and all his things change. Look at the very last verse, very, very last verse of 73, verse 28. But it is good for me to draw nigh to God, still same one. I have put my trust in the Lord. What's different in your King James Bible about that God? All capitalized. He got to a place in his life where it's more than just Elohim now. He's Jehovah. Amazing thought. The fact that he says, you know what, in the very first beginning, he's referring to God. In chapter, uh, in chapter 50, he's referring Elohim, Elohim. He's using God as a general term, as a fact. And again, not belittling, it's, it's still powerful. It's a great name. But the more intimate way to say it is Jehovah. And throughout all the chapter, he says that. But then, capital G, capital O, capital D, he, he changes. And he goes, from, he goes from Elohim to Jehovah. Here's the whole thought tonight. Is God just Elohim to you, or is he Jehovah? Is God in a part of your life where it's not just he's just the God that I worship and sing about on Sundays even though I don't pay attention to the words? Is he just the God that I'm supposed to because my mommy and daddy and grandma and grandpa brought me in? Is it just, some, it's just my job, my occupation? Is it just what I'm supposed to say, God, God, or is he your Jehovah? Listen, I'm not telling you, any of you, if you want to go out, you want to start saving Jehovah, <laughs> that's all fine, that's all fine and dandy. But if all you got from this tonight is Pastor Brian wants me to start saying Jehovah, then you completely, you missed it. Completely missed it. Because it's not technicality. I'm not trying to be technical. You have to get in a place in your life where I say, you know what? He's more than just Elohim, just a general term. He's more than just, just stating God. He's my God. He's Jehovah Jireh. He, I mean, he, he is all and everything to me. David, the reason why he wrote Jehovah is because it was personal to him. But is God just Elohim? Do we just talk about him? Or is he Jehovah to you? You watch the chapter, whole throughout the chapter. Elohim, 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 Elohim. Then you get to the end. Or after, and believe what I believe happened is, was in that sanctuary. He got into that place. He got in his little prayer closet. I don't know where it was. Again, I don't know if people were in the room. He was worshiping with people. And he, as he was singing, maybe and leading maybe, and playing his instrument, I wonder if he 
actually started thinking about the words and tears streamed down his face. And he actually said, wow, God, you are good. I'm so so silly. It's nonsense the way I've been thinking. I was foolish. I was ignorant, Lord. I'm so sorry. Or maybe he was just coming into a dark place by the sanctuary and just got a hold of God. But whatever it is and how we did it, I know in that sanctuary, he went from calling God Elohim. And he said, you know what? You're my God. You're Jehovah. So in your life, simple thought, we're done. Is he Elohim or is he Jehovah? Is he just the guy or the God that you just talk about, that you just write about, that you just go along with the motions of life? Or better yet, if you're not saved, if you're not saved, he's just Elohim. He's just the term. He's just the, what we say about. He's just the general we talking about almighty God. But when, he, when he's Lord of your life, man, he's so much more than that. He's so much more. It's a more intimate. It's a more personal level. Is God Elohim? Or is he Jehovah? If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.